Welcome to Red Maryland Radio, the Red Maryland Network's flagship show. Here are your hosts, Brian Griffiths and Greg Klein. We are live. Welcome to another brand new episode of Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network, coming to you from the Jim Plunkett Studio in the bucolic western shore of Maryland in the heart of the downtown Severna Park Business District, somewhere in the vicinity of the semi-historic Magathy River. You're listening to Maryland's leading political talk show, Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. I am your host, Greg Klein, with me in studio, Greg Klein. No. Yeah, no, I am I, in studio with you. No, but I said I'm Greg Klein. You're not, though. I'm not. You You're Greg Klein. I am. I'm Brian Griffiths. Wow. Good to be here. It's, there's a lot going on. It's good to be me. There's a lot going on uh, tonight. We have a lot of General Assembly stuff that we're going to cover. It's here almost tonight. over, folks, but a lot happens at the end. So yeah. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, a lot of ground to cover. But before we do that, we're going to go to the hotline right now. Joining us on the hotline is the uh, is come on computer is the chairman of the Washington County Republican Party. He's also one of the plaintiffs in the redistricting lawsuit against the state of Maryland, Jerry DeWolf. Jerry, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you, Tyler? We're we're doing well. So the lawsuit, uh, the gerrymandering lawsuit, was heard um, down at the Supreme Court on Tuesday morning. Obviously, Jerry is one of the plaintiffs in the case, uh, you were there in the courtroom as the magic happened. Just kind of tell us a little bit about your impressions about the case, the impressions about uh, the the arguments that you heard, and just your impressions about everything that went on down at the Supreme Court on Tuesday. Well, I got to tell you, uh, it was a real privilege to be there. It was my second time there as the uh, plaintiff in the case. I was there last uh, March and uh, there again um, on Tuesday morning. There was a lot of energy. There was uh, folks lined up. Uh, there was folks lined up uh, before midnight, um, the night uh, before the hearing, uh, waiting to uh, hear the case. Then, um, you know, in the morning, it was just uh, around the block and uh, uh, massive crowds, a lot of energy. Uh, Governor Hogan was there. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was there. Um, a lot of folks, uh, you know, sat next to some folks from North Carolina that came up for their case. So at the heart of it, they had uh, we had listened to the North Carolina case first, and um, they had, uh, you know, parallels to ours. Uh, it was the uh, opposite. Um, that uh, the Republicans were accused of gerrymandering um, uh, down there. But in our case, um, you know, we, we, uh, we talked a lot about one, uh, one person, one vote. Uh, we talked about, uh, you know, in our case, vote dilution. And uh, I got a really good sense uh, from it. Um, of course, you know, it's, um, you know, we're going to be nervous until we get the results. But um, at the heart of the case, there was a, a you know, questions about uh, the vote dilution and how the Democrats, the supermajority in Annapolis, um, you know, used uh, technology. They uh, had a willful intent. Uh, there was no question about the intent. The Solicitor General tried to uh, pedal around that issue, but it was uh, he wasn't fooling anyone um, in that uh, in that regard. But, um, the, you know, the heart of their case was that the Supreme Court was powerless to do anything about it. And uh, that's uh, basically it, that, uh, you know, partisan gerrymandering happens. Uh, you know, both parties do it. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. And, uh, you know, the lines, uh, they draw the, drew the lines uh, because they had to. And, uh, and, uh, and that was it. Uh, in our case, uh, you know, we talked about, um, you know, some very interesting things. Uh, but uh, Neil Gorsuch and, uh, and Brett, Justice Kavanaugh, they were very uh, in tune. And they had some good questions. And, uh one of the uh, things that uh, Justice uh, um, Neil Gorsuch brought up 
was about how this case was, uh, or this uh, the redistricting plan was actually voted on by uh, the voters uh, in referendum. And of course, uh, you know, it was talked about by Justice Breyer how the question itself was opaque on the uh, ballot, and uh, people didn't understand it. And uh, we uh, they talked about racial gerrymandering and the parallels of uh, of that, and how uh, regardless of whether or not uh, you know populations vote for something. Um, that's uh, that's discriminatory and keeping a whole class of people uh, down and uh, doom them for a future electoral success doesn't make it less unconstitutional. And the justices have a obligation to uh, correct that. Uh, so that was uh, interesting back and forth with uh, with Justice uh, uh, Gorsuch. Uh, there's a lot of it. I I really got a good sense. Uh, in my opinion, I think it's going to go in our favor. I think we're going to have a, a, a good chance here. I think we're going to have the majority uh, opinion in our favor. And the real question is whether or not it will be a, a narrowly tailored decision just for uh, CD6 or if it will have wide-reaching implications in all 435 congressional districts and 50 state legislatures in the country. Yeah, from what the reporting that we saw that was coming out of the hearing, it sounded like uh, the justices, this again, according to the reporting, you obviously were in the room and you can kind of clear it up better for us. Um, you know, there was there was a sense in the reporting that the justices acknowledged that the districts in particularly in the Maryland case were gerrymandered and that there was a problem with those particular districts, but there seemed to be not quite a consensus as to whether or not the justices had the room to maneuver in the room to act on this. You said that you're, uh, you're optimistic that at the very least that, that we're going, that, uh, that you're going to win the case. Um, but did you get the sense that there is some sort of struggle amongst the justices themselves that agrees with the idea that these districts are bad, but may, may not be the court's place to act? Oh, absolutely, without question. And actually, the conservative wing of the uh, court actually questioned that. And it was brought up uh, about uh, the justiciability standard mm -hmm. and about how, uh, what standard it is that they're going to use. Um, you know, it, it happened. Uh, the gerrymandered happened. The effect was uh, very clear. The intent was there. There's no question on intent. There's no question on effect. It's all about how a manageable standard. Uh, and we submit that our case uh, could very well be you know, the standard, we, we showed a, a huge swing. You know, we had a 90,000 voter swing uh, in, the, in the district. Roscoe Bartlett uh, won 11-term congressman in, uh, by 29% of the vote um, and won election the very next one after the gerrymander lost by 28%. Huge, huge uh, shift. So the justices did uh, raise some concerns about uh, future, uh, if, if they weighed in on our case and they used our case as the benchmark, uh, then future uh, elections around the country could then have to be decided by judges uh, or the Supreme Court. And they didn't want to have to, um, you know, of course, the Solicitor General, you know, was uh, jumping in on that and says, well, see, there's no precedent. And, you know, you don't want to have to tie yourselves down. And, and they, they basically refuted him and said, you know, this is the job of the Supreme Court. This is what we do. We make hard choices all the time and we set precedent. So, you know, leave that up to us. So uh, there is that concern. And it's uh, and it's all about the uh, manageable standard. You had mentioned talking about whether or not the case was going to be narrowly tailored. Do you see a situation based on what happened in the arguments that the court could have a narrowly tailored decision for Maryland and a different narrowly tailored decision for North Carolina, even going as far as having finding one of the states uh, favorable and one of the states unfavorable? 
certainly. I don't uh, I don't envy them in this decision. You know, uh, growing up and, you know, spend my whole life, uh, you know, uh, looking at the, uh, you know, watching uh, the news and seeing things on TV. And then sitting before them, you know, the nine justices of the Supreme Court, regardless of whether they were appointed by a liberal or a conservative judge, you know, some of the, all of their questions were very pointed. They were very engaged. And uh, it was uh, very clear to me, you know, that uh, they, they have a, a real dilemma. They have a big decision there. And so um, a lot of times, uh, you know, they make decisions we don't always understand, but, you know, they have to understand, the, you know, the history and the precedents and all this. So in North Carolina, there were parallels, but, you know, it's not the same, uh, you know, core argument as us. Uh, you know, uh, the Democrats argued there that a gerrymandered happened, uh, and, and I, I uh, extrapolate that, you know, they were basically saying because of the, you know, the districts and, uh, you know, there's 10, um, they have 13 districts there in North Carolina, 10 Republican and three Democrats. And, and uh, so they, they want a maybe more fair and balanced, uh, you know, a, approach, maybe uh, like a 50-50 split or, but, but here, um, and they were also arguing, uh, I, I think, more equal protection under the law clause our case was different than that we had a uh, in our first amendment challenge it was about uh, um, retaliation under the first amendment and how um, and, and and I think that our case was much more um, to the core it was much more concise and uh, we we had a really good argument in uh, in our favor that showed absolute clear bias and uh, I don't see how they they can't rule in our fate in our favor but I really don't know how they'll, they'll rule in the North Carolina one. One last question before we let you get out of here. Delegate Nick Kipke introduced um, legislation, uh, late late legislation this week to put forth the governor's redistricting recommendations, and that was moving forward. Obviously, it looks like um, we're going to have to hold off on passage of that until a special session this summer. Um, you've seen the new proposed district from Governor Hogan's uh, redistricting commission. What do you think about the district? How much of an improvement is that sixth district over the one that you have now? Well, I'll be clear that I think the governor is on the right side of this issue. That's without question. Um, I am personally disappointed uh, at the uh, new map. I think it's a step in the right direction, but it doesn't go far enough. I, uh, Jerry DeWolf, would like to see a, uh, a district that was uh, as compact, contiguous, and that mirrors uh, more along the lines of the previous district. And, uh, and to be clear, that would have less Montgomery County and more of Carroll County. Um, I said earlier today uh, in another uh, interview that uh, in, uh, Frederick County was split for the first time um, in this gerrymander since the 1840s. And so, you know, we talked about how unfair it is to split rural counties like that, and yet we're going to do that now to Carroll. However, I understand the governor's commission that it had uh, to, it was uh, going on the uh, order of the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeal, and it was uh, a narrow decision, um, a narrow scope to affect the 6th and the 8th congressional districts only, and they didn't want to affect all the others. They didn't want to affect uh, the 1st district, uh, which, you know, would uh, meet the... uh, um, uh, it would uh, come over into, uh, you know, to Carroll County, and but Carroll County would still be split then in the new map, and you'd still have parts of uh, northern Montgomery County in there. So I think that the voters of Western Maryland, um, Garrett, Allegheny, Washington counties, and rural Frederick County would uh, would more likely be lumped into a, a district with Carroll than they would with Montgomery. So I share that view.
Yeah, I think I think definitely going forward, looking at the, the, the future redistricting, that's probably something that the governor's commission in the future will look at. Sure. Jerry DeWolf is the chairman of the Republican Party of Washington County and one of the lead plaintiffs in the redistricting lawsuit. Jerry, thanks for your time and thanks for everything you've done uh, fighting against this uh, this gerrymander. All right. Hey, hey, thanks, guys, for having me. I really appreciate it. I love your show and uh, listen all the time and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Jerry. We'll talk to you again soon. Uh, Jerry DeWolf, chairman of the Republican Party in Washington County, one of the good guys fighting yeah, fighting absolutely. the good fight, uh, which is very important. You it's know, an important is- case. And when, when we talked about this uh, before, I mean, he's exactly right. He hit the nail on the head. It's one thing for the court to say, OK, we've reached the point where gerrymandering has gone from some partisan advantage to being a constitutional violation, either under the First Amendment, which is the, part of the argument they're making, or under the, the 14th Amendment, one clause or another, one one argument or another. I mean, the fact is that we know now that with technology, you can have politicians pick their voters rather than voters pick their elected officials. I mean, th- with precision and with science, that is that was unthinkable at the time of the founders. And so right. th- there does have to be some sort of recognition that, no, but but as he points out, okay, there's a constitutional violation. What do we do with it then? Um, and and I think the concern that having judges draw districts is not going to certainly is not going to be a panacea, and it's going to be well, especially not the way we've turned the courts, particularly. Well, um, you'll the court nominating process, yeah, sure. into a political circus already. I can't sure. imagine what would happen I, if they're drawing the districts. Ultimately, this is one I agree with Governor Hook. Ultimately, the issue needs to be decided by by non by non politicians in bipartisan redistricting commissions yes. created by statutes through elected officials. Yes. Um yes. that's the way to do it. And you know, it's hard to do that when elected officials are going to have to give up their power if, especially if they're in the majority the way they are in Annapolis. So And I think it's a good we'll segue see. to what what's been going on in Annapolis, the big news coming out of Annapolis today. And most of the thing and, and that is a good segue just to buttonhole it. Most of the things we're going to be talking about would not happen, could not happen, yeah. but for hyperpartisan redistricting in our state legislature. We're not talking about Congress here. Which, again, is as legislative redistricting. Out, which, as we have pointed out, is far bigger yeah. of a problem in Maryland than congressional gerrymandering. Yeah, I think, I think you and I would both agree. We'll give the Democrats 7 to 1 in the congressional delegation, the House of Representatives, if you give us single member districts and compact uh, districts in, in, in the. Uh, the General Assembly yeah. that respect boundaries and do all those kinds of things, that would be a that would be a great trade off for citizens of of Maryland. And Definitely. unfortunately, when people talk about it, they could always conflate the two. The reporting is terrible on it. Yes. And it's one of the very frustrating things about this. But yes, we we would be certainly more happy. We'd be the happiest people on Earth if we could get single member districts. Yeah. And well drawn legislative districts. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, and you may disagree with me a little bit on this. We would have a better state legislature if we had more seats determined by competitive general election outcomes. Definitely. I mean, even if those seats went to Democrats, you, yeah. would, you would see Democrats. They would be more responsive. Democrats who were reading, you know, maybe actual books that aren't, you know, written by Che Guevara or yeah. Mao or <laughs> Marx or something. You know, I mean, They couldn't what do they're... some of the things that we're going to be talking about here in a second and expect to get reelected. Right. You know, the first thing they first. So let's let's start with the, the biggest news of the day and it was a it was a 
very Which big one do you put as the biggest? I was, I'm going to. Well, I'm, I'm just going to button, you know, pigeonhole them all together with just the vetoes uh, okay. the, and the veto override. Yesterday, Too Governor Governor Hogan overrode, uh, excuse me, the governor vetoed, rather, uh, three bills. First, the bill regarding the school calendar. Right. Where the, where the General Assembly reverted the power of, uh, of school calendars to state uh, to local governments right the only time in their lives that they've ever uh, wanted to revert power to local governments yeah at the same time they're pushing the Kerwin commission which right. is very much a top-down model yeah for uh education they're and talking I, about being well local educators should be able to make those determinations and as we talked about last week this is a payoff to the, to the teachers yeah. union that's yeah. all this is picking a start date is is a small thing to give when you're going to take away control of curriculum and and so much more and and you know control where money goes, which is what the Kerwin blueprint demands. Right, right. So it's completely hypocritical, which we can't afford. On top of it, but that's another story. Not even close. Not uh, even close. The second bill was the reorganization of our alcohol and tobacco laws, taking yeah. that enforcement. Away from the uh, away from the comptroller's office and giving right. it to a brand new agency that will need to be st- stood up, costing you the taxpayer millions of dollars yeah, every year. Absolutely. And again, we hasten to point Tens out of millions, according to some. Percentage. We hasten to point out this bill. The cheerleader of this bill was a conservative Republican, Warren Miller, he who was, was doing who was the, who yeah. was the Democrats' hatchet man on this. Yeah, Delegate Miller, who we like on so many things, this one. For reasons that we can only hypothesize, we've talked to the guy. There's a lot of things we've talked to him about during session where we're very supportive. We'll talk about some of those a little later. But this one, he is just so out to left field that he's leading the fight to overturn Governor Hogan's veto on an issue is noteworthy. And I'm sure that we will note it. I, I know that Governor Hogan will not be on the ballot in 2022. But a lot of people who like Governor Hogan will be voting at the polls on Election Day in the primary election. In 2022. One would think. One one would think. Just just going to throw that out there. One would think. And then the third and final one, of course, was governor vetoed the fight for 15 bill, the $15 minimum, minimum wage, wage bill, because right. the governor smartly realizes that that bill would cost a lot of jobs. It would cost the ability for young folks to get entry-level jobs. It would yeah. cost money out of the pockets of people working um, working minimum wage jobs because there's now going to be fewer dollars to be spread around because people are going to have to be paid $15 an hour as opposed to eleven ten an hour, uh, or is it ten ten? I can't remember what what it is now. The point being, ten ten right? But it, we just got there. We haven't we just been got that there. L- yeah. very long. Yeah, we just got there. It's a massive. And oh, by the way, you know, by, if I may, please, the Democrats and the socialists on social media are already angling for what's next. Yes, we're already seeing. They've are, they're already they're saying satisfied. this isn't enough, right? Yeah, look, the, the governor pointed out, and, and those most of you listening understand there is basic macroeconomics. If you raise the cost of something, you'll get less of it, um, especially when you raise the cost of labor beyond what it can what it can produce. Uh, you're going to get less demand for labor, and and and, and look, there's also the inflationary effect, and, and there are inflationary effects. Um, you know, I was on the radio this morning and, and Mike Bradley said, well, everybody, all the businesses should just put a sign out saying we're raising our prices because we have to pay our workers more. Well, that's not how prices work. I mean, I like the idea. And sometimes that in some cases, in some markets that works, but really prices, prices that 
businesses sell should be and generally are. I hope we don't get into price controls at some point. Even though don't give them any ideas. That's exactly Jeez, what this is. This is a labor price control measure. That's what this is. Um, you know, businesses can charge for a up. good or service what people are willing to pay for. It. Yes, and and yes, there'll be an inflationary effect. Things will go up. But it's not it, the idea that, well, they'll just pass this along. Well, you can't. I mean, maybe to some degrees you can because your competitors have to do the same. But what will happen is exactly what you're talking about. The governor talked about 100,000, nearly 100,000 jobs being lost. Uh, businesses going across the very close borders we have with every we, other we state. We were just talking talking to Jerry out in Washington County. You yeah. know, you talk about a city like Hagerstown. Sure. You know, it's not a far, you know, it's not a far drive. Right. If you live in a place like Hancock. You know, the state of Maryland's like three miles wide. It's not it's, it's very not, far yeah, exactly. to go to Pennsylvania or West to West Virginia, Virginia where right. the minimum wage is roughly eight fifty an hour. And it was funny. Some of the left wingers who were kind of defending this are saying, well, you know, it's gone up to $14 in D.C. Well, D.C. is not drawing a lot of jobs from the state of Maryland. Let's be no. honest. Uh, it's, it's in a much worse situation. It only exists because of the federal government. There's almost right. no private... Uh, private industry there though these people still have a lot of these people have still a, a lot of people i shouldn't say they're from dc uh, a lot of people seem to want to retrocede dc to maryland none of nobody those pe- from none maryland of those people in maryland that. or dc want to do this yeah no that's but you get a lot of helpers happen. from out around the country who yeah thought, oh, this will this will solve everybody's problem yeah no it won't solve any problem but look so so that's one thing and you'll have it'll subsidize increasing um uh, automation and modernization. We've seen that in the restaurant industry. We've seen that where this is going. Look, we know that this doesn't work. When right. you raise the minimum wage significantly above the market price for labor, especially the low end, um, there are very dramatic effects. When you raise it a little bit above it, there are slight effects. I mean, the fact is, if we had a market price for labor that was around $15 an hour, this wouldn't be that big a deal. The the the, the intensity of what's going to happen is because we're advancing it so far so right. fast. You know, and I, and I think when this is fully implemented, we will have doubled our state's minimum wage in a in a roughly a decade long period. That is absolutely unsustainable and going Correct. and look, Governor Hogan uh ran predominantly on a program of Economic growth, lower taxes, fiscal responsibility, and growing the private economy in the state. That's the central – that's where yeah. he will stick his neck out. We wish it were some other things sometimes, but that's the kind of that's stuff – That's his bread and butter. That's, that's what, what he, he told was, people he was going to do. That's what he will stick his neck done. out for. And I think those things are very popular and why he will – why he has the high popularity he has. And, and I, you know, he, he's getting overridden here uh, – Maybe there'll be some efforts to try to roll this back. It's hard to do with this legislature. But again, if we had a legislature that was that was not hyper partisan left wing, you couldn't move as far as fast on a minimum wage bill. Like a couple this. things I want to point out here. One, um, there is an argument to be made that this bill should be petitioned to referendum. I understand it's going to be a hard sell to say that we shouldn't pay people more. But we saw the Gonzalez poll. You know, right. some people were on right. the internet saying, "Oh, well, Gonzalez shows it got seventy whatever percent support." I, I understand. And then you, you actually like bring Look some context effects. to it, like it's going to cost jobs, it's going to cost more. You know, your prices right. are going to go up, and that support plummets to twenty percent. Okay, so there is an argument to be made. Secondly, 
and I again I I hate to continue to ring the bell on this, but this goes to show you how much we were hurt down ballot last year by all of the nonsense going on in Washington. Elections have consequences. Elections have consequences. Yeah. And I'm. I, I, this may have happened anyway. This one may have happened anyway. Some others maybe not, but certainly this. I agree. Not certainly to your point, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm cutting off, and I apologize. Certainly, the failure of the drive for five. Yes. If we if we accomplished drive for five, which we came, which arguably we came pretty close. Yeah. Um. This wouldn't have happened. These veto overrides wouldn't have happened. And a lot but of the ways in the drive for five failed. Was because of macro the macro political environment that nobody right. could control. Uh, ultimately, yeah, yeah, and there were a lot of competitive races there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it. it I mean, it took out. It, it, it partially took out Gail Bates. It took out Christian Melee. There are always it, other factors yeah. people can talk to, and the Melee race was very, very close. But, but um, this is you know, and may we might have still been one or two short when you look at some of the results of some of the other races, but. Uh, if if the vetoes had been able to be sustained in the state Senate, today's news is very, very different. Yes. The balance of how you can see now how important that was and is and, and will know, be going forward. Right. I mean, th- look, if you want to have some sort of silver lining, which it isn't much of a silver lining, a Republican running for governor in four years can look at these disastrous policies and point to them as something we need to push back on. This yeah. is something Republicans can talk about over the next uh, the next four years. This is something that, and I don't know if petitioning the minimum wage to ballot is a good idea or not, but certainly it's an issue that would be helpful to galvanize Republican support and getting Republicans out to the polls. It's and something right that there. keeps that issue out there um, going forward whether a petition's the way to do it or not, um, I, I think that's that's an important issue as well. But we, there were others. Let's, uh, so, and the others were just pure political, yeah, nonsense. I don't think most people in the in the state really have a strong vested interest over the alcohol regulation stuff. It's just no, Annapolis politics. Um, it may have some effect, you know. And if you're in that industry, this, the Labor Day start date, people weren't upset about that. Loc- you know, the localities who are actually going to change this are the big left-wing localities who are itching to do this anyway. Right. Who's... Though who, Anne Arundel County is trying to, is, is well, trying to, Arundel, to take, which, figure out which way the wind's blowing on this. Anne Arundel County is one of those battlegrounds. I mean, our county, which had been solidly blue for a long time, is now a very, very, very much a battleground. It, it, is it was solidly red, you mean. Solidly red, thank you. Is very much a battleground now, and it, it kills me that I have a delegate who's voting for all of this stuff from District Thirty Three. It's just crazy to me um, it, it, to see Heather Bagnall, who obviously has—I mean, we don't know where the lines will be—but obviously has no interest in being reelected. No. Is voting for is is she might as well be David Moon yeah. with her voting record. It's crazy. And while David Moon plays well in Tacoma Park, not in Severna not Park. Not Severna Park. Yeah. No. No, 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 no. Uh, it, 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 and that uh, that only happens because of the the turnout in Democratic votes, and well, there are other things involved too. But I mean, let's be honest about that. Because, but anyway, the point is, um, elections have consequences. This is a big one. The biggest one of of these vetoes is the the minimum wage. It's going to have a disastrous effect. It's yeah. going to make it more difficult for the good work, the positive. 
Um, the positive things we've seen come out of the Hogan administration with regard to job growth and private sector improvement, it's a it's a headwind against that. Yeah. Um, the good news is we'll have we'll have plenty of data to show that it's not helping and that the, the you know, the claims of the progressives that a fifteen dollar minimum wage is going to be make everything better and everybody's going to pass it around us when they see how great it is. Those aren't going to come true. But it's going to be, and, but of course, it's going to be heavy the, price the, to pay. For the that. people who voted for this, people who voted for this, right, are not influenced by things like facts and data and economic theory. If that was true, this would have never passed in the first place, right? You know, I mean these 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 folks, these progressives who are voting for this, are divorced from reality, right? They are folks who are not right. involved in business they are not involved in the real world it kind of goes back um to kind of loop it back around um loop it back around to kind of redistricting to a certain extent um and not just because some of the players in this you know one of the reasons that redistricting came into place one of the reasons why the sixth district was so gerrymandered is because they wanted central maryland the metropolitan areas montgomery county to have basically another congressman okay that's what they wanted to do they and mountain maryland be damned um, Walter Olson had a piece in the Washington Post this evening. Good piece. Uh, fantastic piece that talks about the two Marylands yeah. and how there's a Maryland where you elect these income poops like Vaughn Stewart and Pat Young and people like David Moon and people who are just out to lunch when it comes to economic theory. People who are, people who do not believe in facts, people who do not believe in economics, people live who in do a not believe world, in data. Sure. People who the sky is red in their world, it's not blue, right. and they pass what they want to pass because they live in their own world. Most of them have never seen a farm in Frederick County. They've never been to downtown Cumberland. They've right. never seen Deep Creek Lake. They've never been on a chicken farm on the eastern shore. These are all things that I've done. Greg, you've probably done them too, most of them. Uh, I've done many of those things. They don't understand what it's like to actually run a business, right. on, on a seasonal tourist business in Ocean City um, or, you know, uh, a dairy farm in Frederick County or, you know, living in a having a small business in, in St. Mary's County, for instance. When you live in Rockville and Tacoma Park and in Montgomery County or Prince George's County, it's a different world. It's a different price structure. It's a different economy. Yeah. It's a different. And there's a different. Fo- it's a different culture as well, and, and it's a different focus too, because a lot yeah. of the focus in places like that, yeah. you know, the, the base for uh, people who live, in, you know, these these Tacoma Park, you know, inside the Beltway, Montgomery County, socialists, their base is people who work in Washington D.C. and people, you know, people who work in. Special interest groups, people who are lobbyists, people who are congressional staffers who just happen to live in their district, and they get their ideas from what goes on on Capitol Hill. You know, they're getting their ideas from the AOCs and the Jamie Raskins of the world, people who are, are members of Congress, and they take their cues from Congress and they take their cues from the internet. Right, and and because they have a D beside their name, if they can get past the primary. They can they can win very easily in the because way that of the redistricting. But issue. we used to be because of the redistricting. Right. I mean, look, um, 40 years ago when you had a, a state Democratic Party that was every much as dominant, mm-hmm. probably had even more seats in the legislature. 
Oh, certainly. If you look at like back to like when Ellen Sauerbrey became the right, minority right. leader, there were fifteen yeah. Republicans. So you go back to when William Donald Schaefer is is winning wide margins for re-election. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the in the early nineties, let's say, uh, or getting elected in the late eighties, that was a Democratic Party that was every bit as dominant vote wise, probably even more so than they are now. But, but you didn't have. The big three jurisdictions, you didn't have the city in Montgomery County and Prince George's County running roughshod over the rest of the state. Right. You had uh, Democrats who who it sometimes they disagreed and sometimes there were consequences for that. I mean, they they raised taxes and kept spending. But you'd have someone like William Donald Schaefer, who by modern Democratic standards is a right Maryland is is a moderate at least. Um. Uh, conservative, perhaps in a lot of ways, certainly too, certainly not progressive enough. He was not a woke guy, but they managed to that's, work and make that's it an together. understatement. The the irony is, as as we've moved forward, we've got a Democratic Party in the state that is still holding on to supermajorities only be, only because of redistricting, not because of election results. You have Republican governors proving that time and time again. Yep. You have more and more Republicans, and it ebbs and flows in the last couple elections, I understand that, but more and more Republicans holding office statewide, locally, and even within the legislature, and yet the Democrats who are running the state have become much more militantly left-wing and are forcing through a much more radical agenda that is forcing out um, moderates and and anything to the right of that within their own party. We saw that with the with the election of Governor Hogan, and because of redistricting, it's hard to translate that into legislative wins. Though gains have been made throughout this century, uh, but that's the future that we're going, and it's 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 a realignment that has to be sped up. And I think some folks on our side need to understand that that has to happen as well, which means we have to be willing to accept those moderates and those former Democrats and build a new coalition because the real enemy is is uh, much, much, much worse. To, to prove your point yes. about how far the, to the left the Democrats have moved. One, all you have to do is look at Ben Jealous and see what his program was. Right. And, and I mean, I, Ben Jealous that. is a perfect example. But Absolutely. just to just kind of to, to kind of this kind of ties in with some other things we've been talking about to show you how far to the left the Democrats have moved. The reason William Donald Schaefer was voted out of office as comptroller was because, as you pointed out, he had become a dinosaur to the Democratic Party, right? And he was instead replaced by a woke left-wing member of the legislature, one of the farthest members of the left-wing I know of the going. General Assembly at the going. time right. from Tacoma Park, a guy named Peter Franchot, yeah. who is now persona non grata yeah. in the Democratic Party because he deigns to work right. with Governor Hogan. Yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's, I know. that's how far to the left. You know, the Democrats were already... You know, you'd already had seen that started to move after after Schaefer left. You got Glenn Denning, you know, his smart growth stuff. And they were already were heading this way. And then they hit hyperspace during the O'Malley years. There's no question. They about did. It. And then they just went to another level nominating Ben Jealous. And they can't figure out why they can't win on a statewide level. But it goes back again. I hate I hate to keep bringing back to this point, but we have to keep hitting it. The reason why the Democrats who voted in the primary election thought that a guy like Ben Jealous right. was their standard bearer 
was because of the Democratic supermajority in the General Assembly, which exists because of gerrymandering. Right. And because of that gerrymandering, they elect, and then elected even further to the left, these hyper-liberal, hyper-left-wing, hyper-socialist members of the General Assembly. Okay? On top of that, you have uh, a guy like Ben Jealous get the nomination, somebody who was basically buffeted by super left-wing Bernie Sanders-type groups, uh, you know, groups that were pissed off from the Hillary Clinton campaign and managed to work to take over the Democratic Party. And that's why you wind up with a chairman like Maya Rockymore, right. who calls Hogan, and by default, Hogan voters, which is, you know, and Hogan supporters, which is 70% of the state white nationalists, why you get a clown like Robbie Leonard thinking that gun owners are, you know, are domestic terrorists. That's how you get this goofball running in Baltimore City for city council, who we, I wrote about last week, who thinks that all terrorism is, you know, is Trump supporters. That's how you get, you know, Marianne Lasanti. That's how you get these people. Okay, right. is because one, there's, you know, they the party has moved so far to the left that the left doesn't realize how far they've moved because the crazy socialist bunk that they believe is the mainstream in the Democratic Party. So they think they are right in line with where their party is and because as we pointed out earlier they don't talk to anybody outside their bubble they right. don't realize how bubble unpopular their right. uh the unpopular their ideas and their their theology there's really nothing else to call it as a theology um is outside of uh outside of their bubble and their specially constructed districts and because they refuse to talk to mountain maryland or the eastern shore or anything like that they don't realize the impact that it has on people well, and they don't have to talk to them, so they don't. And it look, this is this is what, this is why you get most of the gubernatorial elections in Maryland in this century going to Republicans. I mean, three out of five, three out of five, and uh, that trend is likely to continue because you can't gerrymander the entire state. Look, these are people who are born in the end zone and think they scored a touchdown. Um, well, that's a lot of them too. Not is, to not to, to prove your point, you've mentioned this many times before, though. But a lot of people were not born in Maryland. Well, and I think that goes back to your point that you have made part of it repeatedly. Too. Yes, that's part of it too. And 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 look, um, I'm sorry for interrupting uh, you. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. But 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 look, that's exactly the point. You got people who are from out of state who who uh, that's part of the change that's gone on as well. Um, the fact is, there's an opportunity to build a coalition to beat these people back. But as long as they have Democrats are so dominant. Um, in the state that we don't have more of a realignment to the Republican Party and more alignment away from voting Democrat. I think that means we need to get more people registered Republicans. Some people in our party disagree with that. But, you know, this is this is how this needs to change. There's an opportunity here. Yes. I mean, if the Democrats were a tad more moderate, if they were a bit more astute, if they were as effective and as popular as they were when guys like William Donald Schaefer ran the party, the, the Maryland, the when they ran the Democratic Party, excuse me, the Republican Party would be an afterthought and a laughingstock, which it was in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. Um, that changed. Yeah. Ellen Sauerbrey did that, and it's been, a, a you know, onward and upward since then. But, you know, um, so there's opportunities there as well, and I hope that we don't stay in our bubble so much that we miss that opportunity because, I mean, today's like today. Weeks like this week remind us of the consequences of that. This $15 hour minimum wage will be devastating. Yes. It didn't have to happen. Electorally, we could have stopped it. 
we came surprisingly close. This is where I disagree with a lot of the folks on our side who say, oh, we're never going to do it. Everything's terrible. Everybody, the woe is me, the end of the world. I'm leaving the state. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. No, we were we were a couple close races away from being able to do this. And um, we got to we got to work harder next time. This is something Brian put on. We put on Twitter is if you're upset about this, the the proper way to channel it is not to give up and make snarky comments on Facebook about how everybody's terrible and everybody's an idiot except me. Go register voters. It's it's registering voters. It's encouraging uh, more conservative uh, candidates and and supporting them, but if not with money, then with time. And, and we effort. get it; not everybody's got the extra cash. We don't. We're not. We're not big time donors either. I mean, yeah, I, we'll I be mean, the first to admit that. Yeah, I mean, you know, but um, you throw a couple bucks here and there, and look, every candidate who's worth their salt would love to have your time. Your time is valuable. Our time is valuable. And there are always close races. Every election has close races. I mean, whether and look, Half, we could you can go you know, knock doors. You can go wave a sign. You can right. go do a booth. You can yeah. make phone calls from your freaking house. And there's opportunities to win. And we saw this. There were avenues to win, even in a tough year for Republicans. Yeah. There was so next time. Maybe it won't be so tough. We we hope it won't be so tough. It shouldn't be so tough. Um, and look, we're in a good position. You know, again. Um, we should have a strong candidate at the top of the ticket. We'll see. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I don't know what's going to be. I, 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 I am we confident. Should. I am confident yes. we will have a good candidate at the top of the ticket. Um, I live in hope. You know, I mean, you know, and then we're going to, you know, it's going to be a matter of making sure that everybody's pulling from the same chain. We need to make sure that people, and it's the thing too, okay, and then before we move, we'll move off onto some of the other topics here in a second. Right. People need to be reminded about this. Yeah. Because the reason this passed this year is because the Democrats wanted this as far away from the 2022 right. election as humanly possible. Right. Because they don't want you to remember this when you go to the polls. And look, the person who you you who was watching this are not the problem. You You're will remember you will remember this. Okay? Because you are a consumer of the content. You are somebody who is paying attention. It's your neighbor who's not going to remember this. And it's your neighbor and their neighbor and the guy you sit at sit at you know sit with next to church and the guy who works in the office across the hall from you who's not going to remember this and and your friend on Facebook who's going to say when you go to them uh, during election years oh there's nothing we could do it's all Democrats this is when you remember this stuff and point out to them no we can and I've seen it happen I mean when Brian and I started doing when we started doing Red Maryland we started doing this I mean the idea that we'd have a two term Republican governor was unthinkable. The fact that we'd have as many state senators as we have now uh, was a, a, a goal, a stretch goal, frankly. The fact that we had a Republican Party that was actually flush with like flush resources with to do what it yeah, needs that, to do. That wasn't worried about whether they could pay the rent for the next six months. I mean, the, these are things that have changed positively. The fact that we have more Republican elected officials in the state of Maryland and Democratic officials, if you if you look at every level. All right. That's not something that existed in 2007 when we came in. So there's a lot of positive things that have happened. We're going to we're going to change gears and talk about a, a big win we had. Yes. In this session. Um, but, you know, we have to keep fighting hard. Look, it's going to be tough. It's the Democrats are going to the, the closer we get to breaking that monopoly, the dirtier they're going to fight. And it, the toughest fight's going to be the one that actually does it, and that's still coming. Yeah. Um. And and you know, uh, it, I, we don't get discouraged. We never get discouraged, and we 
and we hope you don't either. We wouldn't have been doing this as long as we've been doing it. Absolutely, we didn't think that you know joy will come in the morning. Yeah, if if we, if I, and I've said this. This is why commenters always baffle me when they say this. If I really felt like woe is me, there's nothing we can do. Everybody's an idiot. I would go do something else with my life. Seriously, then waste my time doing this. Right. And I would encourage anybody who really thinks that way to do the same. Uh, because miring and and the and the negativity and the nihilism is pointless. Right. So. So. There you go. So don't get discouraged. Okay? It sucks. Okay? Don't get discouraged. But sometimes we get big wins, like we had yesterday. Yes. Okay? Um the assistant all suit. Right, all right, all right. I felt we needed a little palate cleanser. <laughs> okay. Um, the assisted suicide bill. Yes. Went down in the Senate. It went down in a super weird way. But yes. It went down in the Senate. Nobody was looking for that to happen. Let's go back to last week. Let's okay. talk about the committee. Uh, what happened in committee? My right. episode of the air raid was on this on Sunday. For those of you who didn't hear about it, in part. In part, mostly. Okay. All right. What are you talking about? My comments about the Mueller report. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why you feel the need to. Do, but it's, it's your show. You can do whatever. Do you, you know want. why I talked about that? You really want to? You really want to pull the curtain behind? You can't help yourself. You really want to know why I did it? Because then I could say, "Oh, we talked about the Mueller report," and then suck everybody in who was looking for content about the Mueller report. Yeah, absolutely. It was one hundred percent clickbait. I, okay. Greg, what's the what's the rule? No, 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 no. Clickbait. Ratings. Stand, rate. Standards are something. Ratings are everything. Thank you. But we're not a clickbait. Set. Whatever. No, we're not. But. It worked. Okay. You're Mr. Clickbait and trolling. I I would hold us to a higher standard. Anyway. But be that as it be may. Be that as it may. On the air raid, I talked about this. Um and, and, and the idea the the, the 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 too long didn't listen version of it was there were a lot of changes to the bill. Um right. not that right. the bill made the bill any better, but it did make the bill more sane, even if we wouldn't have never supported it anyway. Well, let, what, let's let's talk about that, but Go ahead. Well, and I'm just going to finish your point. I'm going to turn it over to you since you haven't had the chance to opine about it yet. Okay. And then that you know, with you know, Chris West was still pushing the original bill, and with sure. with with Republicans like Chris West, who needs Democrats. Your thoughts? Um, he was the only Republican who voted for it. I think that's important. To point Both out. in committee and on the floor. I think that's important to point out. And I and I think um, and we'll come back around about the people we need to thank for this, which mm-hmm. is not us. It's a lot of other people. Um, but. You know, the thing about the committee vote, because it came out of committee eight to three, this bill has yes. never been voted out of Senate committee in the past. I think what happens is, and this is this is a phenomenon that I've had legislators explain to me in Annapolis that I still don't totally understand and agree with. But there's this custom in, in Annapolis that if you have an amendment, let's say you got a terrible bill, it's really, really terrible, and you introduce an amendment that would make it a little less terrible, okay? Um, there's this there's this kind of unspoken, unwritten understanding that if the committee, and it's a very committee-centric organization that they have in, in the General Assembly, that if the committee accepts your amendment, then you are obligated to vote yes on final passage, mm-hmm. okay? There's this kind of there's this kind of unspoken thing. Why are you why are we going to agree to your amendment if you're just going to vote against it anyway? Now, some of these amendments that on this particular bill that passed did address some of the concerns. So things like raising the 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 age from 18 to 21. A lot of you probably didn't know that 18 or 19 year olds could have gotten these pills and killed themselves. Right. 
okay? Because the, the sure as heck, the sponsors weren't talking about this, but it was 18 years old was, was the age. Um, they raised the, the, the barriers to getting, uh, to getting a doctor's permission, and, and they raised the level of what you had to get as far as a mental health evaluation. Still didn't require a mental health professional to give that evaluation. Um, they took away the, the shield of liability right. for doctors. That, that was really the poison pill, I think, for the compassionate choices type folks. Um, because doctors were going who gave these pills to kill their patients, there was an immunity in the statute to protect them from being sued if something went wrong in their, um, which which they would not have if they prescribed anything else for anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you prescribe medicine for somebody and it's the wrong medicine or it's given wrong or it's, or um, it's the wrong thing to prescribe, you have liability as a doctor. But in this case. Um, you were going to have immunity if you gave something that was intended to kill your patients, but let's say it didn't, you know, uh, which, and, and there's all kinds of things that could have happened terribly. We've had doctors on talking about this stuff. Right. So it passed in a very amended form. Compassion choices came out and said they couldn't support this anymore, though it wasn't clear to me that they really backed away. And it was, wasn't clear that any of the supporters of this walked away from it because well, of Chris the amended West certainly version. pushed it through. Um, there was some effort on the Senate floor to make further amendments, to roll back some of the committee amendments. At the end of the day, the people who voted it onto the floor didn't end up voting for it entirely. Right. And it was a tie vote. You had Senator Patterson, for reasons that are still a little vague and unclear, yeah. and we can have different different opinions on it. I like the outcome, ultimately. Sat on the floor and didn't vote. And Which felt is that technically that was, against the rules, and and felt like that was the right thing for him to do. Now, what happened, I don't know what, why. What, what but, usually happens is that and if a senator tied, and, and a tie vote is it's dead. It's a failure. It yeah. advance. Usually, when a senator wants to dodge a vote, they just take a walk. You know, they're not on the floor. They're not there. No big deal. Right. Um, I guess Senator Patterson really wanted it to be clear that he had no idea what he wanted to do with this bill. The one yeah, thing his answers to the questions about it were just suspiciously vague. No, he's like, well, I heard from a lot of people and both sides, and I felt the right thing to do. I was very informed. He wanted to make sure everybody knew he knew all about the issue. Yeah, and he listened to both sides very carefully, but he thought the right thing to do was not to render a decision. So when they ask him, well, don't you think your constituents were, you know, denied representation because they didn't have a representative vote? No, no, no. They're very. It was a cowardly move. At the end of the day. But you know what? Essentially, he voted against it. Let's be honest. He yes. essentially voted against it. That was the net effect of what he did. I Whether think... he wanted a, sorry, I'm no, sorry. Whether he wanted a recorded vote someone could point to or not, that's, poli- that's well, you know, either political. Either way, people are going to remember That's political this. gamesmanship. But at, he, he, he took a conscious action that defeated the bill. And, and president, the Senate president, who voted against this, by the way, who said it was going to pass by one vote, I mean, it's it's fun being on the side where the chicanery and game playing works to your advantage because we're almost <laughs> never on that side. And I think that's a, not a small part of exactly what happened here. I think the one thing that disappoints me through all of this. I bet I know what it is. Uh, you, th- you do? I, no, well, I'm I think betting you're, pro- you're probably right. Is that our guys didn't filibuster this. Is that what you thought I was going to say? No. Okay. Um, that would have been great. Is that this should have never come to a vote? Quite frankly, our guy, I don't, I don't, our guy I don't, should have, our guy should have blocked 
the vote on this bill and filibustered it to death. No well, it's a good question. We should ask, and, and, and this is a good opportunity to talk about, the, the, the heroes of this, by the way, yes. are the senators and delegates who fought consistently against this. Folks like our friend Senator Huff and Senator Reedy, uh, folks in the House, uh, uh, Dan Cox, mm-hmm. and I'm going to I'm going to miss some names, guys, and I don't mean to, um, who were against this. Um, the legislative Black Caucus members who yes. who voted against this, um, the leadership, uh, including the Senate President, who was against this. Yeah. And and guess what? When he was against it, it doesn't pass. He can say all he wants to kind of hem and haw, but at the end of the day, his will was carried out. It's rare we're on the same side with him but it's nice it's nice to be there um because he can still get done what he wants to get done um the folks in committee who fought against this consistently all of the people who came out and testified Mm -hmm. the the organizing of uh maryland against physician assisted suicide expert uh physicians like dr joseph marine from johns hopkins who testified who we've had on our show in the past the Maryland Catholic Conference was the heavily Maryland involved. The Catholic Conference, the the uh, the medical organizations who are against mm-hmm. this, the the disability organizations who lined up against this, a lot of people who don't agree on a lot necessarily, who built a strong coalition. And I think one of the things that was most impressive to me about this is not its ultimate defeat, but the fact that they've bent the argument so much towards the negative side that even the Baltimore Sun now which was not even the case when this bill first came to hearing this year. The, even the Baltimore Sun now, when they talk about this issue, calls it physician-assisted suicide. Yeah. That alone is an amazing victory. Now, you could say, well, the vote was very close. The vote was very When you get the Baltimore Sun to admit that this is, to call it what it is, frankly, physician-assisted suicide, to get rid of the, the, the bullshit, forgive my English, uh, nomenclature. Usually of, that's me. Yeah, a nomenclature of aid and dying or end-of-life options, when they call it what it is, consistently in their reporting, that that is an accomplishment from the opposition that's made their point and is getting that message through. Um, so that, that too, is amazing. The bill's not going to go away. Obviously, the close vote's going to encourage people to come back. Was it as close as the votes indicate? That's an open question. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, but the, thank you to those guys because, um, and I know we've got some compliments. We could play a voicemail we got from from folks. We're happy to be a part of that. But those folks are the real heroes, and I and I and I literally thank God for those people doing that. Um, two thi- we can go ahead and play the voicemail here in a second. But two yeah. things I want to point out um, that we the, the unknowns going into next year. One, right? Do any of these votes flip next year? I guess we, you know, including Obi Patterson, by the way. Um, Go ahead. I'm listening. And second, we never got to figure out where Governor Hogan was coming down on this. Yeah, I know. And that's, I think, the million-dollar question going forward is where would the governor have come down on this? Right. And we d- we don't know. I'd like to know. Yeah, I, I would, too. He, he ducked a punch here, and, you know, may, I think – we talked about this last week. He kind of knew it was probably never going to get to his desk. Um, he was right. I, even though it's close, if he came out today and said, "I know it's vote. I know it was. I know it was a close vote. I know it was very heated." I have to be honest with you. I can't imagine myself ever signing bill, even if it's an amended form. That's it. That's done. Yeah. Then the bill doesn't come back. 
because then nobody's going to do the heavy lifting when they know at the end of the day it's not going to get over the top. Right. Um, and, you know, I guess again, we talked about to a blue in the face. You know, a governor who is willing to um, willing to have Pyrrhic victories or vetoes that he knows are going to be thrown back in his face, who's willing to stand up against ideas that ostensibly are as popular as things like the fight for 15, but something as serious and fundamental to our culture as physician-assisted suicide, he can't even take a position on when his position would be critical. It's frustrating. Very frustrating. It's frustrating. And it's more frustrating because, and, and you know what? If I really thought, hey, be careful what you wish for, he might actually be in favor of this. Maybe we're better off where it was. Maybe I'd feel differently. But deep down, I have to believe that he is opposed to this. Yeah, I hope so. Let's go ahead and play. You know, let's let's swim in Planet Me for a second, okay. and play this. Uh, play this. Well, we like very we, kind. We invite call. people to give feedback, and, and usually, usually we say the more negative, the better. But sometimes, uh, yes. Hi, my name is Catherine Adelaide. I'm a member of the Carroll County Republican Central Committee, and I just want to commend you guys on a great job you did on uh, physician-assisted suicide. I've been doing grassroots uh, lobbying efforts on that myself, and it appears that it has been defeated but narrowly. Anyway, uh, I've been listening to some of your shows and uh, reading what you're writing, and um, it's really great. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Yeah. There's there's other pro-life issues she mentions in her in her voicemail that, that are important as well that we need to keep our eye out on. Um, those are, there's going to be tougher to stop than this one was. Yes. But uh, we appreciate it. And, you know, folks like her and folks like th- in the legislature, those are the real heroes in this. And I yes. and, and if what we wrote or what we put out there gave people information that was helpful, uh, you know, gave delegates something. We I know that delegates came to us and wanted us to report about the shenanigans going on in the House. We did that. Happy to do it. If that's helpful to get the word out, then we're happy to do it and be a part of this. But it's a very small part compared to what those folks did. Definitely. Definitely. Let's run through a couple other things in the General Assembly and then we'll just move to de- uh, just general Democratic uh, corruption. Yeah. Um, the bill regarding the handgun roster safety board has passed. Yes. Um, not really a surprise there. Democrats, as they as they do, you know, refuse to <laughs> refuse to let you have your Second Amendment rights. Right. Um, go back to the list, please. I just completely will make sure we catch everything. Um, that's the big general that's, assembly. Yeah, that's go. the yeah, the pot companies, believe it or not. We talked about the pot issue a couple of months back. Right. And how the General Assembly continues to just fumble the pot issue. We have um, we have some of the pot companies who already are licenses licensees suing the state of Maryland and the, and the Cannabis Commission over awarding more licenses. Um, this just in you know, there's a couple. Important- I wrote about this a couple months ago, but right. go ahead. I, and 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 we've both written about this over the years. We're talking about the medical marijuana regime that we have here in the state. Yes. And one of the reasons it was so delayed, we talked about this a lot, and we covered this a lot at Red Maryland. One of the reasons it was so delayed was because the legislature and the, the Annapolis, you know, the the the, um, the, uh, the Muldoons. Muldoons who run the old line state, as they said in the wire, um, wanted to make sure that they got their cut and that their constituents got their cut. And when everybody wasn't getting their cut, they fought over it and fought over it. And they talked about it in terms of geographic and racial, whatever. But it was really about everybody getting their cut. 
okay? Because it wasn't about legalizing marijuana as some sort of libertarian freedom thing. That's not what it was about. It wasn't about helping sick people. That's not what it was about. It was about money. It was about getting money, and it was about making sure that um, legislators and people associated with legislators had their fingers in the pie and could spread the wealth around. That's still the rats are still fighting over this piece of meat, um, this very lucrative piece of meat. And that's what this lawsuit is about. And it's interesting that the Senate president, who we said nice things about before, and we'll go back to our normal position where we feel more comfortable, uh, said he was shocked to hear this because guess what? He has people very close to him who are very much invested in some of these other firms. Yeah, it's a shock. It's not a coincidence. And they want to do. And so. When we talk about taxes and the need for tax, and we'll talk about this in the future, one of the things that the Senate president has said is, well, we're not going to have to raise taxes to pay for Kerwin. We've got legalized weed we're looking at. We've got this commission, and we've got sports gambling. Well, what they're going to do with legalizing weed is not for all my libertarian friends. I've talked about this a million times. What they're not going to do is just legalize weed and give you know this, this new birth of freedom for, for all you potheads out there. They're going to take over the drug rackets. That's what the state's going to do. Kind of like how they took over the numbers. So what you see exactly with the lottery. Exactly. So what you see with medical marijuana, you can add a couple zeros to that because that's how big the market's going to be. And the government's going to want their cut and they're going to want to be able to dole out the golden tickets for right. who gets to make. It's like everything else in this freaking state. Out, and it's corrupt well, as hell. It's every, like everything else. It goes back to the issue we've talked about with. The same thing with the alcohol lobby and how, right. you know, you talked about this on uh, on the radio this morning, right. talking about how Mike Bush's campaign treasurer right. is runs one of the biggest distributorships in Annapolis. And everybody's got if, the distributors have their hands in everybody's campaign kitty. And you know, everybody wants to make sure to protect their phony baloney jobs right. and protect their six. You know, when it comes to their campaign funding and everything else, because they have they the people that they are associating with are the ones who are benefiting financially from this. And the same freaking thing is happening in the medical marijuana industry. Yeah. Again, you know, the, the easiest way to do this, if, if they were serious about making medical marijuana uh, available to people who need it, and again, the science is questionable whether or not there's even any effectiveness on this. We've wrote about this extensively. Right, and we have lots of stuff, especially smoked marijuana, but go ahead. But if they were serious about this, you could take your prescription to CVS and get weed. It would be a lot easier, yeah. as opposed to this the nonsense that they've that they put on. And and here's what's going to happen: uh, you, you need to understand this, because as and I, and I really want to talk to our libertarian friends out there who think weed is this harmless vice that should be completely legal, and 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 you're being whatever oppressed, and the jails are full of people who smoked one joint. Um, none of that's true, but let's say that's what you think. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going on. Marijuana is the next big tobacco, okay? The money, the market, where we've seen it legalized, there's billions of dollars in this business, a business of getting people to use a hallucinogenic drug, a drug that has, in a smoked form, has all the cancerous downsides of smoking tobacco along with the hallucinogenic effects of THC as well, okay? It's a huge boon industry. And and the, the fact that these 
uh, legal weed companies have gotten some money in some places where it's been legal. They're bankrolling folks like our friend Don Murphy who are uh, lobbying for this stuff, making a lot of money lobbying for this stuff because it's big business. And so what they're going to do is they're going to come to Annapolis and they're going to say, hey, Annapolis, I noticed you needed $4 billion more for your state budget for all those little kitties and for the tots that you want to send to to pre-K. You don't want to raise taxes. You got this crazy Republican governor who's going to oppose you. Why don't you legalize weed? And we'll set up this crony capitalism system where we'll cut you in for whatever percentage off the top the way the the casinos do. You give us a limited, um, you know, semi-monopoly or oligopoly on who can produce and sell this stuff so that we can keep the prices nice and high. And we'll fleece these potheads all day long. Um, and we'll we'll fund this ever-growing, unsustainable state government that has little kids in mandatory government-run schools on the backs of dope addicts um, who are smoking pot all day. What do you think? Puff, puff, pass. Well, Mike Miller kind of thinks it's a pretty good idea, and we got this commission trying to work out the details on how to do it. Yeah. I think it's disgusting at every single level, and it is nothing like what our Cato friends or our libertarian friends think it's going to be. It's going to be the the crony capitalism that will come out from the Maryland legal marijuana regime is going to be far worse than the reality of the um, of the prohibition regime that we have right now. Right. Okay. Where we have decriminalization uh, for you know up to a, an insane amount that just got doubled last year okay yeah i'm telling you and it's all going to be done in the name of raising revenue revenue that's not going to support the spending that's going to be going the taxes are still going to go up right but it's going to soften the blow so when it's just like with gambling when it's not enough we'll still after you legalize gambling it's still not enough there's still not enough money for education so we're gonna have to raise taxes again i'm and telling that's you that's what's coming and that's something there's a quote in a maryland matters article recently where senator serafini who is one of the biggest tax anti-tax hawks right in the republican caucus right has said i don't see how we're going to be able to pay for all of this you know so so we can't we can't and he's talking about voting for the budget which yeah. has this these projections the, the reality is we can come back and and change that mandated spending That's of course it's going to have to happen and whether it's through burfa whether it's through the the governor exercising his constitutional prerogatives to to the nth degree and maybe creating a constitutional crisis it's going to have to happen now mike miller told everybody we can do this without right. raising taxes. Right. So, and he specifically mentioned the cannabis commission and the the sports book. But gambling. there ain't enough money to go around. There's not. Look, there's just not enough. Everybody's going to legalize sports gaming on whatever. There, everybody. Right. We're going to be gonna behind, We're going to be behind the curve on this, like we were right. on table games, like we were on everything else. I wrote about this what in the Capitol a right. year ago saying right. let's just go do it now let's yeah. let's get it done and, and, and it's and and look you can say what you want but as a conservative number one I the crony capitalism stuns me it's fomenting bigger and bigger government it doesn't surprise me it, it, it it's there to support bigger and bigger government yes more and more we are funding this government on on vice and you know gambling and drug use and we need that to sustain 
are are overly burdensome state government spending. Yes. Um, it is it is disgusting and reprehensible on every single level in every single way. It's not a part of a state that I want my daughter living in and growing up in or my grandchildren or your children, a state where more and more we we need marijuana being consumed and bought at an, and at frankly inflated prices because we're running a racket and don't worry the black market will still take care of that um and we need people gambling and debauching themselves in every way that we can we can tax through sin taxes um in order to um in order to pay for this outrageously expensive and surprisingly ineffective public education system right uh, that we're going to have in this state, that's which is not going to be fixed the, by Kerwin. By that's the way. supposed to be the the world standard elite, whatever, fueled by drugs and gambling. I mean, look, you know my thoughts on gambling. I have no problem with legalized gambling. That's that's a different you know, legalized. But you gambling, know, that's not what we have, really. No, I mean, I, you can legally go gamble, but you know what we really have yeah. is just uh, the state of Maryland standing in for the mafia. Um, and taking their cut off the top, of course, and controlling course. the rackets, of course. We and I've written about that before about the the cut that the state takes off the top, right? And they're uh, going to do the same with marijuana. And by the way, not just a segue, a little bit of a segue. Remember the original intention of slots. First, it was you know before slots for tots. The idea for slots and 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 casino gambling was to save what horse racing, right? It was going to save the horse racing industry, and right. now because it was only going to be at horse at racetracks, right? Which, of course, how many how many are at racetracks? Nobody goes there. Who knows? Zero. No, there's none. <laughs> yeah. There are no freaking slots right. at racetracks, um, right? Because gambling, betting on horses, wasn't enough gambling already. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing. So now we've got this lawsuit. I wrote about this um, at Red Maryland. The lawsuit that. Um, the lawsuit that the city of Baltimore has filed against um, the Stronach group trying to condemn the Preakness. We talked about that last week. Right. Now there's this pissing contest between elected Democrats and the Stronach group in Laurel talking about living conditions for, for, for I can't remember who's living there. That's, that's the weird thing. It's like there are people living at Laurel Racetrack. And now in the area, delegate delegate Mosby. Um, well, no, there are people. You're talking about people who work and live on the yeah, property. They right? live yes. on the property. So now, delegate Nick Mosby, conveniently from Baltimore City, is talking is worried about the living conditions at the racetrack. Right. Stuart Pittman, the Anne Arundel County Executive, uh-huh. is now all of a sudden concerned about what's going on at the racetrack. And now there's this fight over who gets to enforce the living conditions at the racetrack, and all of this is related to where the Preakness is going to be and where the lawsuit goes. And in the meantime, in the meantime, okay, you've got the city suing Stronach, trying to condemn the Preakness and take 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 it by force. Right. Okay? You've got... You know, you've got Stronach trying to say, drop this stuff. And the unspoken thing being they can take this entire thing out of the state of Maryland. They can just move it. And now you've got Pittman, who's realizing he's does, he's got a good thing going, potentially, of getting the Preakness in Anne Arundel County, which was increased revenue for him, which he desperately wants more revenue to, to, 
to you know to to fund more programs in county government. And all this time, we, you know, we've got education problems, we've got crime in Baltimore City, and we've now we've got a pissing contest over living conditions at a racetrack. You have anything to say on this? I, it's it's a circus, and they're you know they didn't care about these people until they were maybe taking the prickness out of Baltimore. It's all pol- It's all kabuki theater. Um, if there's some law that exists that's being violated, there should be somebody in place to enforce it. Um, but it's all trumped up to make Laurel look bad, so that we can keep this ridiculous horse race that we're subsidizing with tens and hundreds of millions of dollars of tax money. Yeah. Um, for for prestige for one day a year, I mean, it's it's nonsense. Definite nonsense. Definite nonsense. And let's let's shift now. Let's um, shift now to talk about. We haven't talked about democratic corruption today. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Delegate Jay Jalisi, uh, who was condemned by the House of Delegates for mistreatment of his staff, and that unanimously is uh, censured the by second the House of Democrat. Yeah, this second the session. year, yeah, who has been censured for being a bad apple? Yes. Which, One, a couple things. One, okay. I mean, they did a little more to him than they did with Lasante, which is kind of interesting. Too, it but, is uh, kind of strange that they did that. Yeah. One, clearly, people have known about this for a while, and it's got it had to be pretty bad that the legislature would take this much public action on effort. Now, what? Now, what he's saying is this is a smear campaign and it's a conspiracy by some unidentified special interest that I, I guess he's opposing that's trying to you know make him look bad. And, and if he was so bad, his his staff would have quit and all this other stuff. Right. He from from what's been in the report that's been released and, and to some degree, I mean, the members of the of the House of Delegates all censured him for something. Yeah. Um, he was abusive towards employees, his others, and uh, he's been stripped of not only committee assignments, but uh, pay for his staff. It's also yeah. not clear whether he was maybe siphoning money off or keeping money he was supposed to go to them, which is a whole other thing. Um, and then this guy comes out and says, well, you know, I lose money coming here. Well, then yeah. resign. Wrong answer, bro. Well, then resign. <laughs> I mean, do yourself a favor. Resign. Go away. Yeah. It's it's amazing. None of these legislators, and by the way, none me, of the very very I'll, I'll say extremely few of these legislators are really motivated by this altruistic sense of public service. Most of them, even even ones we like, even even the good guys, are there because they like being there, and they like the power, and they like the emoluments that they get. Even though most people in their own district couldn't pick them out of a lineup. Um, they like being, you know, kind of bigwigs. And, and state don't forget, legislators. by the way, and he, Jay Jalisi is one of those guys, and he abused it. As he's, it is amazing how people who, in many cases, are stunningly mediocre <laughs> in every way, but get elected to um, the the House of Delegates, think that they are Napoleon. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it a million times, and I and I wish it were only Democrats who did it. It's not. Oh yeah, uh, but that's what's going on with this guy. Um, he's gotten drunk on the little tiny bit of power he has as a state legislator, and now he's getting called on the carpet. And by the way, it. you make $46,000 a year for 90 days of work. Well, and, okay. they do a lot more work, but, the, and but the, still. The, ben- the bennies are better than that. The retirement vests a lot quicker than most you people You get your per get. diem. You get your yeah, hotel allowance. Yeah, and they're not 
they're not they're not pulling hurt. their pockets out. I mean, there and there's no dearth of people willing to run for it either. That's the other thing I'd hasten to point out. Right. It's like people who complain judges don't get paid enough. Yeah, there's no there's no uh, lack of supply of people who are willing to be judges. Okay, yeah. trust me, it's it's fine. Um, but these and these guys are the same way. And but and it's supposed to be public service. So if if you were trying to get rich, I mean, you'd be in Congress, right? Because that's that's what that's what people in Congress do. But um, it's but it's amazing to me that a guy can clearly act so badly. He gets wrapped over the wrist or the knuckles by the entirety of the House of Delegates. Yeah, he has everything stripped, and not the, the thought of him resigning in disgrace never enters his mind. No, and when you see people like him and Lasanti just flaunt those consequences with with absolute um impunity yeah you know well maybe as you point out maybe people will remember it three years from now in the next election or three and a half years from now probably not that's what they're counting on right and even if they do they got three more years of salary and and benefits and retirement that they'll build up and take anyway i mean it's 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 disgusting. Of course, it's nothing like, and this will be a transition, it's nothing like the mayor of Baltimore yeah. who were taking very sophisticated, flat-out bribes yeah. as a member of the state senate uh, to help out a very large state institution, the University of Maryland Medical System, which gets tens of millions of our tax dollars. And also, by the way, filing years' worth of uh, incorrect financial reports yeah. and 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 admitting some wrongdoing to the point of amending those reports and then coming out after avoiding the media for some time because she was quite ill right to to double down on it and say hey those books that those phony baloney books that they paid me to write are really great you should read them and oh by the way here's my fashion line and here's a fashion line to go with it i mean it is brazen you know it, greg you you and i have there's no damn shame in this political world in this state anymore at all you and i have been doing red maryland for a long time yeah you and i have been involved in state politics for a long time you yes. and i are what i would call students of of maryland state government and state Fair. politics i would say that i can't remember any press conference any person publicly dealing with corruption in this way Ever. I mean, this is like Mandel level stuff that's going on. Here. Uh, it's pretty bad. I would I would point out Don Dwyer's pre press conference before he went to court where he said he was going to be happy to see this put behind him. That was colossally stupid. But he ended up paying for that. Uh, and at, in, and at in the a end very of it, significant well, way. and at the end of it had some sort of remorse and, and you know, uh, some sort. He was certainly out of office, and he certainly was humbled. Yes. Um, and was ill-advised to make the statements that he did prior to it. I don't know that that's going to happen with the mayor. We'll see. But this is the kind of arrogance um, that goes well, on she's got She's got a mayoral primary coming up in about a year. Okay. I don't know. So she she theoretically, I don't know. She theoretically could be in a lot more hot water than... I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, you know, the last one, it took the city practically being burned down for her to avoid running for reelection. Uh, and the one before that had to get a, caught red handed um, stealing from the cookie jar um, to get out of office. So, you know, I don't know. 
I don't know. It's a fun city. It's a fun city they got there. But why I mean, not, the one thing we why do not lean into it and say, yeah, the one thing we do know is that Democrats do always challenge Democrats in you know, in the primary. You know, Democrats don't get a free ride running for reelection as mayor of Baltimore because they tend not to uh, right. because of the fact that, unfortunately, it does tend to be tantamount to uh, to reelection. The but it's also but the problem with that also is that that sounds good. But the reality is that outcomes usually aren't determined by real accountability for no. what happened. It's still it's still gamesmanship and bad politics that of decides course, it, even course. though uh, that person receives some sort of political challenge and someone who's equally Machiavellian can use this nonsense against them. Um, it rarely serves to the purpose of some greater good. It's not some civic do-gooder who ends up getting no, and that's and that's the most frustrating thing too is the fact that if Catherine Pugh did the right thing, which would be to resign in disgrace, yeah, you'd have Jack Young become the mayor. He's got his own skeletons in his closet. It's like you know, it's like the the entire city government has this just stench. About it of crony capitalism, corruption, what have you. You know, it goes back, and I've said this story on the air before, but I'm going to say it again for people who are hearing it for the first time. When I was uh, years ago, I went to Seattle and I had to give my driver's license I to somebody who, um, you know, when I was buying something in, in, you know, at the gift shop and was buying a credit card or something like that, and they, I said, "Hey, can I see your driver's license?" Right. And they're like, "Oh, you're from you're from Maryland. You know, where are you from?" It's like, "Oh, I'm from from near Baltimore." I'm like, "Oh, hey, that's where they filmed The Wire. Is is the show really like? Is Baltimore really like The Wire?" And I said, "Absolutely not. It's much more corrupt than that." Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not only is it more corrupt. I mean, in The Wire, they kind of presented it as kind of almost this romantic. You know, we're having we're having poker games where we're paying off the mayor. You can see what's really going on. It's much more out in the open. It's well, it's not necessarily much more out in the open because, you know, having having a big state institution buy, you know, a thousand books or something or pay you one hundred thousand dollars to write a, you know, error ridden uh, set of books that the local school system buys some but can't even have their kids read because it's so poorly written um, is not out in the open. But it's so much worse. It's so much grosser. Yeah. It it's so much more just in your face. Yeah. You know, and when you when you consider that um one of the reasons that it was hidden for so long was because the state legislature gave UMMS an exemption from the state uh public information act so they could hide stuff like this. Or yeah. that was the net effect of it anyway. That's corrupt beyond the kind of, you know, make sure make sure you're the last guy he talks to, state senator, who's always <laughs> holding you up for more money that they right. portrayed in The Wire. Um, and I, it's much more violent, too. As violent as that show was, right. the, the real thing is much I w- worse. I will say this. The one big piece of news is on that front as far as uh, Pew goes, the fact that um, the same investigator who investigated Sheila Dixon and John Leopold um, – Filed a complaint with the state prosecutor. Right. Uh, both of those folks, of course, were eventually convicted. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where where that goes. But I, I, I will say it goes back to the whole concept I think I've mentioned before is that maybe Baltimore City's not quite ready for, you know, self-government yet. Well, I, I, I think one of the things that if you want to see a silver lining in this UMMS scandal um, is that the Baltimore Sun exposed it. Yes. 
um, they did some real honest reporting that was not that was made harder by the Democrats in the legislature and they expose it and they'll continue to expose it and they've come out against what's going on. That's a good start because they're going to hurt Democrats doing that. Uh, Just like I think Ovetta Wiggins going to the mat and and fighting to get that story about Lasanti into the record was important because people in Annapolis knew about it, but it didn't get reported. That's a trend I'd love to see continue that what really goes on in Annapolis getting exposed would be really good. That's a good way to start. That's the journalism we need. Um, so it's encouraging from two, you know, two institutions of two journalistic outlets that we're not afraid to bash on a regular basis. So I, I think that's a good start. I think that's, you know, she didn't remember. She hasn't been a state senator for some time. This stuff's been hidden away for some three time. years almost now, you know, um, and, well, this is her third session not in the state Senate after right, she resigned. Right. So this is this is good on the sun for exposing this. Now, uh, they keep on it. Of course, she keeps in the news by doubling down on it. That'll be easy to do. Right. Uh, but that's a good way to start. Now, if she ends up leaving in scandal, as we've seen others before her, the backside is, can we create a political system in the city that elects really decent people? Maybe I, you know, I'm not as pessimistic. I look at the, I look at the fact that Governor Hogan got a higher percentage of the vote in November's election than any Republican has in a long, long, long time. There's a lot of voters who are unhappy with the way things are. Yes, and they get it. It's just a question of finding the right candidate to to make it happen. And, and that's a big if. And unfortunately, that's not an easy thing to do. And unfortunately, but. that candidate probably will wind up not being a Republican. Um, that candidate may have to right. be an independent who petitions their way onto the ballot because, unfortunately, there is a stigma in Baltimore City. And look, we're working to fix that. Um, there is a stigma. Yeah. And or a good government Democrat who maybe has the support of a lot of Hogan backers and donors. Right. And those They'd still have to get through a primary, uh, potentially. Well, the primary would be the election. I mean, yeah. that's the that's part of the. Yeah, it's just a matter of whether or not absolutely. they're going to get on the ballot. You know, so we'll we'll see. Um, <laughs> Almost anything is better than what's there now. Almost anything. But it could always get worse, and we've seen that before. And there's one thing we do know is that, you know, you look at some of the scandals that have been going on in the local area. You've got, you know, Lasanti still in office. Jaleesi's not going anywhere. Right. That entire triumvirate of goofs down in Virginia wrote out their scandal. Yeah. Are still writing. And, and, and what's sad about it is when someone gets called on it, when they get admonished, when they get sanctioned when they get um and and they stay and nothing happens it just gives carte blanche to everybody else and it encourages others that you know what does a unanimous censure mean from it doesn't mean it means less today than it did a year ago if two members get it and nothing happens to them they're there next year yeah i mean merit maybe it's awkward for a few days for delegate jaleesi or it's an awkward session for delegate lasante but they'll be back next year yeah. And people are still going to talk to them and they're still going to have a vote. And most of the voters in their district who couldn't have picked them out of a lineup before still won't be yeah. able to uh, unless they have a well-funded primary opponent who's going to point this stuff out or or they're in a competitive enough district that a Republican who points it out can make a dent. I mean, they could get reelected. Yeah, it's totally within the realm of possibility, which means if if the worst you got, they can they can just stare down and walk away from. 
Wow, that really opens up some. It does not send a good message. That's it, for certain. It, it really means the worst. I mean, we haven't seen the worst that can happen yet. Yeah. Well, Greg, why don't we go ahead and wrap this Let's show up? Let's wrap it up. Um, programming notes. Um, next week, Greg will be flying solo. Yeah. I will be in Canada. Really? Again? <laughs> Really? I knew you would, I knew you would ping on that. That's not in America. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. No, no, it's not in America. But. Okay. All right. Well, we'll keep our eye on you. <laughs> I'll be proudly here in America and um, doing this show. So basically, more than likely, Greg and I are not going to be doing the show together for a couple of weeks. Um, the week after uh, the week after that, we are in Frederick on April 11th. Yes. Doing uh, doing an appearance at the Republican Club Looking of Frederick to County. You can go to redmaryland.com slash events. It's at the Red Horse Steakhouse there on Patrick Street. So, which even though I grew up in Frederick and have driven by that a million times growing up, I've never been there. So I'm looking forward yeah. to it. Uh, one of us will do a show that week, either on the yes. 9th or the 10th. We're still kind of sorting that out. Right. Um, we may be, both be able to do a show on Tuesday. I'll follow up with you on that. So we'll see. F- send me a memo of some sort. I will write a memo to, to you. The, uh, <laughs> an inter-office memorandum through Red Maryland. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then the week after that, you will be doing a show on Holy Thursday by yourself while I am at Mass, I believe. I may pre-record it, okay. but yes, yes, during Holy Week, while you are reverently um, doing what you do, I will do a show. Yes. Yes. So then we'll be back together the last week of April, and then the next week, um, I'll be gone again down in Ocean City. Um, there you go. Hopefully, I still haven't gotten confirmation on this. Hopefully, I'll be doing an appearance while I'm down there. Need to need to tighten that up. But I will be back at Ocean City in May on May 18th for the state party convention um, at the Grand Hotel. So uh, we will be there, and of course, we will be in Baltimore City doing the Lord's work on June 20th. Do we know where in Baltimore? No, we City? haven't quite sorted that out yet. But we are going to be there. Okay. I mean, I hate to show up someplace, and you know, it's not like a place. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big city. It seems like there should be an address of where we're going, but I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's on the block. Uh, you know, I I work two blocks down Baltimore Street from well, the that's infamous. Basically, block. a different planet at that point. Uh, not so much anymore. But it is. It is not the same. Well, I mean, the block's right across the street from police headquarters. Police headquarters. So, right. which that's it's one block away from City Hall. So. If you're not familiar with what we're talking about, Read we're talking that, about the famous adult district, the yes. red light district, if you will, the block. And I don't mean like what your grandmother says. Oh, they're going to a gentleman's club. That's so nice. Um, Whose grandmother says that? I've heard that story before. Okay. All yeah. right. It's like, oh, that's nice. They have a club for gentlemen. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, we're going to be in the city on June 20th. Uh, redmaryland.com slash events you can learn now there'll more. be a rumor we're just going to the blog and <laughs> calling it an outing uh, wow our wives see this we're going to be in a lot of trouble yeah I think our wives know better I think we're safe no we're safe they, they know better um, redmaryland.com the home base for all things Red Maryland you can support us in many different ways I tell you what the, the best thing you can do for us okay First, just subscribe to Red Maryland Network Program and iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, the TuneIn Radio app, and Google Play. And if shows yes. like this one, automatically download the device of your choice. Correct. The flagship, Red Maryland Radio, airs on Thursdays. The Conservative Refuge occasionally airs on Saturdays. 
Hey, you're going to get plenty of Greg Klein solo in the coming weeks. So. True. That much I promise you. And the air raid will be on uh, on Sunday this week, also on the Red Maryland Network. You should also discussing su- click clickbait topics of various <laughs> sorts. You should also subscribe to our to our newsletter and have the best of Red Maryland delivered to you every more every week. Rather. That's great. This week's is chock full. We had a great week. Redmaryland.com slash subscribe is how you can do that. But the, the easiest thing you can do, go to Facebook, Facebook.com slash Red Maryland. If you're watching us on Facebook, you're doing that now. If you're watching us live, you're part of a very, very small group. Many, many times with people watching us live will some of our some of our live chatters don't understand how that works, but that's okay. Yeah, you share us, share our post, share the show with your friends, with with everyone, friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, coworkers, co-religionists, in-laws, and outlaws, and just share it. We're also on yes. Twitter at Red Maryland. We are on Instagram at Red Maryland. Spam your neighborhood groups. Spam your neighborhood groups. Okay, just put it out there. Put it on LinkedIn. Put it on, um, put it on next door. Put it in your community groups. The Red Maryland Network, no way endorses spam. Now share, share liberally. But share it, share it. The only we, thing many liberal we're we, asking you to do. That's right, is share. Is share it liberally. Because look, as Greg said earlier, a lot of people don't know a lot of what's going on. Yes. Okay. And everybody's all focused on Washington and all that other stuff that's going on. But there's real stuff that's hurting real people including you, going on here in the state of Maryland. So make sure that people around you in your life know where they can get good conservative content and can know exactly what the Democrats are up to in the state of Maryland. So please, 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 please share our stuff. If you want to get in contact with us, redmaryland at gmail.com. Good old-fashioned electronic mail. Or you can call or text, like the caller we had earlier, you can call or text 410-205-4875. What's that number? 410-205-4875 and we will feature your comments on a future Red Maryland Network program. Greg, any final thoughts? Uh, We're we're almost through session this year. It's it's a rough one, as it often is. Uh, Many more defeats than victories, but we've had some of both, and I'm sure we'll all be glad when it's over. And, Brian, until we meet again, my friend. Indeed. For everybody here at the network. Which will be Saturday, but they, you well, don't They don't that. need to know that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for everybody here at the network, thank you very much for listening. For Greg Klein, I am Brian Griffiths. You have been listening to Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. Oh, radio, tell me everything you know.